praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. God is good all the time. Good to see some of our wayward, wandering vacationers. We still got a few out. By the time they get in, we got another bunch heading out. But that's all right. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. You just love me that much more when you get back. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And uh, we're going to talk on a subject that is well known to all of you. But we're going to stir up our remembrance tonight. By touching on the Godhead tonight, you may be seated in the name of the Lord. I find it interesting that a lot of times you'll find people that do not believe that there is only one God will take this same scripture and twist it to their liking when it's very plain to show that there was only one God that created it all and that one God came in the form of flesh, was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the New Testament espouses some language that is somewhat new to the Old Testament. And uh, one of those phrases is Father, capital Father, F-A-T-H-E-R, Father. We start to hear the terminology being used very early on in the New Testament as the word Father. And then... In direct correlation to that is another word that is uh, used more abundantly, and that is the capital S-O-N, Son. So you have Father and the word Son. And then there is the third word that is also used. It's actually two words, Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. 
you have these three that are utilized often and many times you'll find them when it refers to uh, the deity of God. And if one is not studied it properly, one could become deceived into thinking that there is more than one God. The uh, belief of more than one God is actually steeped in paganism. It uh, is something that you'll find existed as long, just about as long as man has existed, at least since the fall of man. Uh, there has been uh, different types of beliefs of different kinds of gods. And then right on up to the Roman Empire, they had a multiplicity of gods. The Greeks, which was before them, had a multiplicity of gods. In fact, you'll find that a lot of times the Romans would, would borrow either the names or the characteristics of some of the Greek gods and rename them. And so that's why you see a lot of similarities between uh, these mythical gods that the Romans espoused to and those of the Greeks. But then came the time of the New Testament as we know it as it is today. And then after the church was born in the book of Acts, as it began to grow and to multiply, there were those that tried to bring in false doctrine You'll find many references to this. The Nicolaitans was one. Uh, and there was other things that were brought up in the book of Revelation in reference to several different discrepancies uh, that were beginning to already stray from the doctrine that was espoused by the Lord and by the apostles. And uh, so you begin to see it happen. And then uh, according to what we know about church history, it began to fall into what is known as apostasy. Whereas that it began to espouse the things that now become as what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. It, the church kind of morphed into this over a period of hundreds of years. And then, of course, in AD 325, the, the Nicene Council uh, is when they decided that there were actually three gods in the Godhead. Uh, your Encyclopedia Britannica will bear out that they only believed in one God up until this point. So, having laid that groundwork, let's look in the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures have to say. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now, what exactly does this mean? This means that God was in the body of Christ. Jesus Christ being the only Son of God. Now, we have to understand the differences and significances of these terms, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. When you see the word Father as it's espoused in especially the Gospels, although it does also show up in the epistles as well, uh, you'll find that Father is referring to God in his creation as being the Father of creation as well as being the Father of the only flesh that was glorified, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, that glorified flesh is what we call the Son of God. 
That flesh had its own um, will. This is something that is clear. Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. That flesh had its own will. But yet still it pleased God that God would be in him. God would be in him. And Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I and my, uh, my father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the father. That it's all the one and the same. One God operating in a multiplicity of different things that he did at the same time. He could be father in creation and son in redemption all in the same breath. And it's not a problem for him. Praise God. Colossians 1.15. Let's go there. I've determined to break in this new Bible that y'all gave me some time ago. I just mm, I hate breaking in new Bibles. But one has to do what one has to do. The print is a little larger and if Sister Twyla was here, I'd say something about being old, but since she's not here, it doesn't do any good. I won't say it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Miss her tonight. Colossians 1.15 speaks of Jesus. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? Now, how could Jesus be the firstborn of every creature? If you look in the book of Genesis, you'll find that the firstborn that is least recorded were Adam and Eve's children. They were the firstborn. But yet we find here that it says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. We also know that Adam was made in the image of God. Now, if you read what Paul wrote here to the church at Colossae, it says, who is, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. A spirit hath not flesh and bones. But the Son of God, the only flesh of God, is Jesus. And when you walk on streets of gold, and you step in and you look at the throne, you're going to find one sitting in the throne, and that one is going to be Jesus, the only one you can see. Praise God. He is the image of the invisible God. And, you know, I find it interesting that when Jesus, well, excuse me, when the Lord made Adam, not the Adam that attends here, we're not referring to him tonight, But when the Lord made the first Adam, he had a blueprint. He made the first Adam to look like Jesus. From what I can see, that's what that means. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? We read to you in uh, John 
chapter 1. I'm not done in Colossians, but I want to go back to John 1 and read something that, that would correlate with what I'm trying to say. Praise the Lord. Amen. We'll find it here in a minute. If you look at John 1 and 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, what was sent to bear witness of that light. He's referring to John the Baptist. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now that's referring to Jesus. He came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then, of course, we read to you, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, and the glory was as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, There was a scripture that I can't seem to locate at the moment. Um, we'll get back to it later. But it talks about uh, the, the, word of, the, the word being in the mind of God. And my mind is not finding it at the moment. But it was in the thought processes of God from the very beginning. And because it was in the thought processes of God in the very beginning, that is how we understand and know that Jesus Christ is indeed the firstborn of every creature. He was born in the mind of God, as it states in, verse, in the book of John. Um, Lord knows all things. I'll find it later. Praise the Lord. Amen. So let's go back to Colossians 1.15. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So it pleased God. God as being in the creator, in the sense of him being creator, it pleased God that all of the fullness of the Godhead would dwell in him, the flesh of Jesus, bodily. And this is what it says. Now, when we are born again of the water of the Spirit, we become little S-O-N, sons of God, which is a similitude of the same, but it's not quite the same because, after all, the fullness of the Godhead will not dwell in us, but will have the 
earnest of the inheritance that God has given, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us into all truths and will enable us to be caught away at that great resurrection. Amen. Praise the Lord. John chapter 14. much faster with my old Bible, praise the Lord, John 14, beginning at verse 8, Philip saith unto him, Lord, shew us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Now, Philip getting a little bit uptight, he's saying, now, Lord, we've heard you pray to the Father, we've heard you talk about the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, show us the Father, and it'll make us happy. Enough about the Father. Let's hear about what He is. I want to see Him. That's pretty much the interpretation here. Jesus saith unto him, verse 9, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, shew us the Father? Now this is giving us a, a clue as to the Godhead and how that it is structured. We have to understand that the Father is in him and he's in the Father. That it's, it's intertwined together. That the Father is in the flesh. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And so he was saying, have you not been so long with me that you've not known who I am? You don't know what I'm all about? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, there are those in the Trinitarian movement that will say, well, he's talking about kind of like a marriage, you know. Well, I got news for you. You seen Sister Moats. You ain't seen me. It just don't that don't fly. And they, they try to say that it's one in purpose, but again, he said, You've seen me, you've seen the Father, so it's not necessarily one in purpose he's referring to here at all. He's talking about a oneness. Only one God. The pagans believed that there was more than one God. And so when the church went into apostasy in the Dark Ages, they adopted a lot of the Roman belief system of pagan gods. And they started renaming gods. And this is how the Roman Catholic and the Roman Empire kind of merged in a sense of power. And the church fell into apostasy and fell under that umbrella. Now, it wasn't the true church. God's always had a remnant, a true remnant that believes it the way it's supposed to be. Um, <clears throat> many think that what is called the Anabaptists were among those 
uh, not be the same as the Baptist, but the Anabaptists were among those that believed truth in the early years of the Dark Ages. And then it passed on from hand to hand to different ones. Obviously, the word Baptist is derived from the fact that the people actually would baptize, which was something that the uh, Roman Catholic Church would never do. They, they caused just a little bit of sprinkling was baptizing, but the Baptist come along and says, no, that's not the way it should be. So they saw a little bit of, sh uh, just a little bit of ray of light and the fact that baptism means to baptizo, which means to totally immerse. Imagine trying to totally immerse somebody in a little cup of water. So the Baptists had a limited understanding of at least one thing they had down pat, and that was the fact that baptism was not just to be sprinkled, but rather it was a physical thing that must be done, and it was to be immersed completely as in being buried. And so they, they brought that understanding. Now, again, this was part of the coming back from apostasy. There were certain shades of light that began to shine upon those as they began to study the Word of God from the dark ages forward. But that's another, another lesson altogether. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> let's go on in our, our lesson here. Uh, Jesus said, If you not spend along with me, if you not known me, Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, shewest the Father? Believest not. Thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you. I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So I say, why did God allow it to happen in that manner? I believe that it was for an example for us that when the church came along, that we would follow the same example of sonship. Sonship being submission, the flesh being submitted to the spirit and the spirit would do the speaking and the spirit would do the influencing and the same is today when you got the holy ghost that that basically is how you serve god you let the flesh submit to the spirit and let the spirit do the speaking and do the works so it was for our example the same reason that jesus prayed somebody said who was he praying to it was humanity praying to divinity Remember, Jesus had flesh too. And so that flesh was praying to divinity. And that flesh was our perfect example of how we also are to pray. <clears throat> Let's continue on. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So he says, you need to believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or just believe me for what's happening. That's what he was saying. So Philip had a little trouble there, so he was saying, you know, if you're having trouble, just believe me for what I've done and know that I'm doing right. And so it's up to us to believe that he is who he is. Except you believe that I am he, he said, you'll die in your sins. We've got to know who he is. Don't just know about him and, and be acquainted somewhat with the name of Jesus, but know what it's all about, the, everything about the Lord. There are things that, that uh, you can dig in the Word of God and find to be so precious and to be so deep. And the deeper you dig, 
the deeper that it gets. Praise God. John, let's go to the first epistle of John. And this is another passage of scripture that is can be misused by some that do not understand the scriptures. First epistle of John 5 and verse 7. For there are three, everybody say three. There are three that bear record in heaven. Hmm. Somebody say, ah, there it is. Read the rest of it. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Now, there will be some that will say, yeah, right there. See, it means they all agree in one. Wrong. Because if you'll read further, it bears this out. For there are three, let's read it again. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three, if I say it, Agree in one. Now, the writer here, John, made the distinction that the verse, the second verse that we read, he made it very clear that those elements agree in unity. And that he made clear reference to it being a unified effort of these three bearing record. Is that a fair statement? But if you back up a verse, he did not say that the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit agree in one. He said they are one. Big difference between agreeing in one and being one. Everybody see that? The Father, this is referring to the creation, the particular office that God held as Father of creation, the Father of creation, the Word which became flesh. We read it to you over in John. And then the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, they all bear record. They bear witness. And here's the thing you have to understand. They don't agree in one. They are one. Big difference. Because if you go again to the next verse, John made it clear that those agreed in one. But the verse when it's referring to the Father, the Word which became flesh, and the Spirit, they don't just, it ain't a matter of them all agreeing in one, they're still being three. Because this is what the Trinitarians will tell you. Say, well, there's three gods, and they agree in one, and that's how they'll tell you they still believe in one God. They call it one Godhead. One on Godhead means that three gods agree together in tandem together. So that's when you ask someone that may attend a Trinitarian church, uh, how many gods do you believe? I believe in one God. Nail them down a little closer. And you'll discover they believe in one Godhead. In fact, I've discovered that a lot of grassroots folks that attend these Trinitarian churches don't even realize what the church really believes. 
But their doctrine is very clear. They believe in one Godhead, meaning that there are three gods agreeing in tandem together, agreeing as one. And they'll take this scripture right here and abuse it. But I'm showing you how that you can show that that's not the case. It's very clear. John made it clear by the next verse. You tie them together. And you say, see here? He said, agree in one. He made it clear that the, that the, the second verse is agreeing in one. But the first verse is referring to it being literally one. Because there's only one God that does all three offices. That don't make them three gods. It makes them one God doing three things. But yet the earth, spirit, and water are three different things. They're different three, they're three different things. And so, yes, they have to agree in one because they literally are three separate entities. But not the Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. They're only one spirit, so therefore they're only one. Enough said. Let's go to Ephesians. Oh, you'll like this one. Most of you can quote it by heart. Ephesians 4. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Don't forget that. There's only one body, the body of Christ, which we become members of that body. There's only one body and there's only one spirit. There's not three spirits, you know, Father God, Junior God, and a third God. If there are three gods, then Jesus cut them out of it when he said all power is given to me in heaven and earth. That means there's two powerless gods left over. Hello? Unless you understand the two-way God was in Christ, and then he can say all power is given to me because it is true. One Lord, 550,000 face. Is that the way it reads, Brother Charles, in verse 5? Is that, am I reading that wrong? One Lord and how many face? Three, five, five thousand, six. Help me out here. Only one. One Lord and one faith. One Lord, one faith, however many baptisms that you want. It's just a matter of however you want it. I'll baptize you in Jesus' name. I'll baptize you in uh, Mickey Mouse. I'll baptize you in whatever you want. You just pick a name. We'll put her on there. How's that, Ethan? You keep saying something back there. What's that? Only How many baptisms? How many? Just one. You sure? You sure about that? Okay. One Lord, one faith. Looks like it reads one baptism to me, y'all. That's what I'm seeing. One God. Hmm. And Father. 
of all. Who is above all, through all, and in you all. Somebody said, all must have been a southern because here he is saying you all. You see it, don't you? That was funny. You can laugh. It's okay. It's supposed to be funny. You've heard that joke all your life, haven't you? Praise God. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So we understand there's only one Lord and there's one faith. There's one baptism. Somebody said, well, do you think you've got it all together? Well, you know what? I do my best to understand Scripture. The Scripture has to be the final reference. Not me, not you, not anybody. But what does the Word of the Lord say? Well, it's your private interpretation. No, there's no private interpretation of any given prophecy. All Scripture is prophecy. You don't have your private spin on it. You have to dig sometimes. You know, Old English is not always the easiest to, to digest. The thee, thou, and thine kind of stuff, you know. It's, it's, it takes a little bit of discipline to kind of get your mind in gears to I understand that. You know, it's faith is a requirement for salvation, but you also have to know and understand what thus saith the word of the Lord. How do you rightly divide? You know, I could believe that I can walk on water all day long, but it doesn't mean that I can't. You know, I, I can believe the fat meat ain't greasy, but it's still greasy. Just, you know, some folks think just because they declare it that it, that's it. Well, you know, that, that you're not God. You don't have that right. There's only one that can declare and it'll be so. And that's God himself. When he spoke the word at the beginning, let there be light, he spoke and it occurred. He's the only one that can do that. Now, some of us can take basic things, basic elements that the creator left for us and combine it and make something out of it and think we've created something. No, you just mixed it all together is all you did. You didn't create anything. You took what elements was created from the blueprint, the master blueprint, and mixed something up. That doesn't make you the creator. Only God could speak in things into existence. And we're still using them today. Right. James chapter 2, verse 19. I like this one. I like them all, but this one's, this one's really one of my candy sticks here. James 2, 19. You got it up there for us? Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devil's also. Devils are believers. Just because you believe doesn't mean you're saved. Because if that were the case, we'd have a saved devil on our hands. He believed. I believe that there's one God. Well, that, that's nice. That don't save you. 
That'll move you in the right direction, granted. But it won't save you, not that alone. Devils believe and tremble. Somebody said there was more than one God, he'd have a nervous breakdown. Well, I think he could have a nervous breakdown with only one. He believes and he trembles. Brother Jace, who was Jesus praying to in the garden? Let's go to Matthew 26. Pick on these Bible college students. I got another one I can pick on now. I got two. <laughs> she still got to go to some of them classes. <clears throat> Matthew 26, verse 39 says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to his disciples and findeth them asleep. He saith unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Boy, there's something we could preach about for a while. A lot of us do some watching, but we don't do a lot of praying. Some of us do some praying, but we don't do a lot of watching. Ooh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing. Flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. So again, who was he praying to? Somebody said, well, it was God the Son praying to God the Father. I seen a hand back there. Would you help us out? Jesus in his flesh knew death was coming. He knew that there would be extreme torture. He knew what was expected. And he showed us that he was very much human. And in that humanity, that humanity began to work on him. Somebody said, well, he had divine flesh. Well, that's false doctrine. If he had divine flesh, then he couldn't be tempted. And the Bible says he was tempted in all points as we were, yet without sin. It had to be that way. God, God formed it the way he wanted. Great is the mystery of governance. It's, there's some things you look at and it's like, man, that's, that's powerful stuff. The more you look at it, the more you're amazed. And and so here we see where that he had to have a will. If he didn't have a will, he wouldn't really have to suffer against his flesh. Now, would he? Do you realize that most of the time it's your will you're fighting against when it comes to carnality? 
how could he know the full human experience unless he had everything you had except sin? The weakness of the flesh dictated that he pray, but it also was an example, as Brother Ethan brought out so beautifully, it was an example of submission. And thirdly, it indeed was the flesh crying out to divinity. Remember, God was still in that flesh. But yet still, even though he was in the flesh, the flesh still had a will. It had to be contended with. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. They had to make this a two-parter, folks. Verse 21. Brother Charles, read me verse 21 and 22 out loud, would you? We got the flesh in the water. That's the sun. We got the voice in heaven. It's the Father. And there's a dove in bodily form. Now, another place it says it just sent like a dove, but here it says it's bodily form. Descending down, somebody say. That was the Holy Spirit. So there's Trinity right there all in one scope. Anybody have heard that? There you go. There it is all right there. There's proof right there. This wasn't Trinity. This was a sign for John. John was the one that needed to see this. And so this is a signification to John as to who Jesus was all about. This was not to prove that there is a trinity. God can do three things all at the same time, still be one God. That doesn't change anything. He can speak from heaven, be in the body, and, and cause the the dove to, spit, to descend in bodily form, all three at the same time, still be one God. That doesn't make it three gods. But here's what it does do. It proves to John that sure enough, this is the one. Now, John had a little problem with that, and God knew it. 
it came back to haunt him later. When John's in prison, waiting for his head to be cut off, he sends word by his disciples, you the one? You the one? Or should we look for another? Same man. Now he already had his son. But you know, don't be hard on John. You're in a nasty, cruddy dungeon and there's talk of your head being served on a platter to a wicked woman. You might have a little problem too. But the Lord said, you tell him Dead being raised, blind eyes are being opened. In other words, John, here's your second sign. I'm letting you know I'm still the one. So, well, Jace, was Trinity present in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22? We got the voice of the Father, we got the Son in the water. And we've got the spirit descending in bodily forms above. What's it mean? You see, I'm talking to you about some hot issues that can be brought up pertaining to one God. I see a hand back there, yes, sir. Well, that's a good point. I like that. And another way you can look at it is the Bible says that the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. That gives Jesus two fathers if you're going with a Trinitarian belief. Houston, we have a problem. It's a lot easier to believe there's only one spirit doing it all. Praise God. Amen. All right. So let's move along here. I'll try to land this plane here tonight. I don't want to keep you too late. Genesis 126. Somebody get that and read it to me. Get it just stand. That way I know you got it. I may see the word hour. Twice. We see the word us. Now, somebody's good at English, tell me. That, does that mean singular or plural? Be honest with me now. Come on. All right. All the Trinitarians take this very verse and say, uh-huh, right there. There it is. 
first off, I can blow their minds with the very next verse. But there's more. Hold on. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. So what's going on here? Well, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, is found in the word God. And that you have to look up the original. It's Elohim. Why does God have a plural meaning in Genesis 1.26? Because the word Elohim means plural. When you look at the word God, in the original Hebrew, it is plural. Don't take my word for it. You go home, dig it up. You'll find the same thing. I wouldn't lead you wrong, I promise you. Somebody says, oh, Brother Motes, what kind of can of worms have you opened up now? I'll read you from Strong's Concordance. God's, as in little G-O-D, in the ordinary sense, but specifically used of the supreme God. If this was to be translated as plural, then it would have read God's, not God. Everybody follow me so far? So it can mean plural when referring to little G-O-D-S and singular when referring to the supreme God. Pagan gods were referred to as Elohim in Exodus 12, 12 and 1 Kings eleven thirty three. Didn't know that either, did you? So Elohim was not just reserved for the one true God. It was also in reference to gods of any stripe, meaning false gods. In Psalm 82, 1, Elohim is used both singular and plural. What about let us make man? It is in reference to his plurality of his royal nature. Hello. Father in creation, son in redemption. Holy Ghost in regeneration, the plurality of his royalty. He can do all of these things. And the plural is referring to his characteristics, not the amount of God that he is. He's only one God. He always has been. But Elohim, and when it refers to plurality, it's either talking about multiple gods, little G-O-D-S, or it's talking about the one supreme God, Jehovah God Almighty, and his plurality of his deity. And 
Also, Colossians 1.15, which we've already read. Somebody look that up. Let's reread it in conglomeration with what we've just read. on the board Colossians 1.15 who is the image of the invisible God who we're referring to here Jesus Christ who is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of every creature my God the Trinitarians will tell you Elohim means plurality of gods Plurality of titles, yeah. Plurality of his nature, yeah. But not plurality of who he is. He's only one God. Always has been. That's why you read in Genesis one twenty-seven, the very next verse, when it says, he, him, and he, them created them. And you can even go over into Isaiah where it says, I created the heavens alone. There was no God beside me. None. None there. No God created before me. No God created after me. Jesus wasn't created in the, his flesh as a junior God. No, his flesh housed the only God. Thus God would have full understanding of both deity and the human experience and be able to reach to us at a level that he never could reach us under the Mosaic law. One more. You got time for one more? Go with me to Acts 7.55. Brother Ethan, pull that up so it'll save me a little time. I won't have to dig it up. This new Bible, I'll be a while. <laughs> Acts 7.55. This is Stephen. Being full of the Holy Ghost, being stoned, says somebody says, ah, got you now. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Somebody says, right there, he said, he's seen at least two gods right there. Back up to verse 55 again. He looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, you have to understand this wording. God is a spirit. He's able to dwell everywhere at the same time. He's able to speak to millions of voices and millions of souls all at the same time, but yet it all be personal. That's pretty awesome stuff. I, I can't do that. I do good to talk one at a time. Be everywhere at once. He's omnipotent. He's got all the power he needs. He can create worlds. 
not a problem. He's speaking into existence. He chooses to use the angels for a lot of his bidding. Why he does that is his business, but he does. Uh, angels are, are created a little higher than us. Okay? Do all this stuff. It's a pretty awesome God, really. Now, there's a lot of reasons we don't understand why he chooses to do this. doesn't choose to do certain things. That kind of blow you away. But you can't be deterred from what he is. But there's one thing about God. I can't never get on the right side of God. Because God's everywhere. How am I going to get on the right-hand side of somebody's everywhere? That's kind of like going to the end of the east. Well, or the end of the west. So how do I do that? Well, you can't. So you're looking at the scripture wrong. It's not that he sees two gods. He said, I see the glory of God. The glory of God. Well, Jesus is described as the glory of God. And he's standing on the right hand of power. In the New Testament and the Old, when it refers to the right hand, it's referring to the strength. Now, another place it talks about God works on the left and on the right, but in this particular passage, it's referring to God's strength. And Jesus, he was describing him as being the strength of God. Because what? To what God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So it's not a matter of him seeing two gods. It's a matter of understanding what he actually saw. Amen. Don't have time to get into it, but you can look in the book of Revelation. It talks about the Father's throne. And then a little later you find where Jesus is sitting in his own Father's throne. Either he's sitting on his lap or God is in Jesus in the glorified body and both together are only one sitting on one throne. The only God you'll ever behold. Ain't God awesome? The more you talk about him, the more fascinating. And, you know, this lesson is by no means exhaustive. It's, it's, you know, there, there's so much more. I just touched on just, just, just the tip of the iceberg. You go to studying it out. You'll find all kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's the, uh, the Tower of Babel. Let us go and confuse them. Uh, they like to use that one too. Same thing. Well, you go to dig that up. It's the same stuff. You know, it's really. Now, when you get into the book of John, you'll find where John goes to talking about the sonship a lot. And if you've not studied up on the oneness, it's so easy to get confused. It really is. But you've got to know what the sonship was all about. It was a divine order of God that it would, first of all, be a divine example for us. But secondly, it was enabled God to be able to inhabit that flesh and to be able to glorify that flesh and to make it full of, a God, full of, the, uh, full of God, Godness bodily is in that body of Jesus Christ. 
What made Jesus the son? Was it just because it was stated so? No. It was because the father gives the blood to the child. Did you know that? Scientifically. And since the Holy Ghost was the father, if you will, in that sense, in the scientific sense, the Holy Ghost was the father of Jesus scientifically, which is all a one spirit, God. It's the same. Uh, then that means that his blood was different in the sense that it was God's blood. Yes, it was fully human. He expressed that very clearly when he had a will in the Garden of Gethsemane they had a struggle against. Very much human. He wept as a man. He cried. He, he hungered as a man. He was very much a human being. But yet that, that, that blood was the only blood that could save mankind because it knew no sin. Right. I shed my blood. It ain't going to do much for you. But the shedding of Jesus' blood was God's own blood. That's why it was his only son in that sense. But yeah, you can't separate them into different gods. It's only one God doing all of it, orchestrating all of it at the same time. Because he's that kind of God. Stand with me. God bless you.